Hi, I'm Kenneth, and this is the Unspeakable Vice podcast, where we talk about talking about sex. Sex is a dirty word, a taboo, something that just isn't talked about, and we're about to dig into why. Mental health is notably lower for individuals who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer. There's a complicated history between queerness and mental health, and understanding the connection could be insightful beyond minority populations. Until 1973, homosexuality was categorized by the American Psychiatric Association as a mental disorder. With the publication of the second edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, this categorization was no longer included. However, debates about the nature of homosexuality in relation to mental health continued, both among professionals and in the general population. The legacy of homosexuality as disorder is seen in social stigma, deviant identity, or difference requiring explanation. Homosexuality is but one example of a broad array of sexual orientations and identities that make a minority appearance in human variation. Some people uh, used to assume that homosexuality was a mental disorder because of religious or moral reasons. It's wrong, and so behaving in a wrong way must be a sign of disorder. As moral reasoning gave way to scientific reasoning, a new argument was that homosexuality must be a disorder because homosexuals are more anxious, depressed, prone to suicidal ideation, and so on. But this reasoning is problematic for two reasons. First, depression is already a disorder, so just because one, uh, just because this one thing is associated with a disorder does not make the one thing a disorder also. It's like saying that because married people are more depressed, then marriage is the disorder. Second, it's kind of a circular argument, because we know that putting the label of mental disorder on someone in itself creates stigma, depression, and anxiety. But anyway, that's in the past, allegedly. Now, at least among mental health professionals, pretty much everyone agrees that homosexuality is a natural variation and not inherently disordered. However, that doesn't change the fact that homosexuals and LGBTQ people in general have higher rates of mental health problems. So, what's going on? Ilan Meyer in 2003 did a great job summarizing the research up to that point. He found that stress related to sexual minority status in lesbian, gay, and bisexual individuals is consistently shown to correlate with mental health problems. Lesbian women and gay men experience more physical victimization than heterosexual people, including as property crime, physical assault, or sexual assault. They also experience higher rates of discrimination, and just as damaging, they perceive discrimination based on sexuality, whether it's explicit or not. Lesbian, gay, and bisexual individuals often conceal their sexual identity in an attempt to avoid victimization, but they also may disclose their sexual identity to receive acceptance into a community or for a personal sense of integrity. However, Heteronormative external pressures also may lead to internalized homophobia, if only in subtle forms. 
Meyer states that it is unlikely that internalized homophobia completely abates even when the person has accepted his or her homosexuality. Studies have been done on transgender populations too with similar results. One was by Bakhting et al. in 2013. They recruited a sample of transgender people from websites, mailing lists, and so on, and found that transgender people have significantly higher rates of depression, anxiety, and overall distress than average. In more recent studies, researchers have been branching out from the traditional categories of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. One study conducted by Borgonia et al. in 2019 was able to divide subjects into many categories, including trans men, trans women, gender nonconforming, bisexual, gay and lesbian, questioning, pansexual, demisexual, asexual, and queer. Few of their respondents gave still other identifiers, but they had to limit their categories in order to make statistical sense of their results. And as you can guess, they found that individuals in all these categories have higher rates of mental health problems than heterosexual individuals. Additionally, they found that mental health disparities are greatest for the emerging identities, that is, the new ones opposed to the traditional categories of LGBT. So these days, researchers are starting to understand that not everyone in the LGBTQ umbrella is the same. They don't have the same experiences, and they don't have the same problems. That's why researchers are finding more and more categories to put people into. Nonetheless, there are clear similarities. As I explained earlier, mental health differences are seen in all the different categories of this umbrella. Much of the research into mental health disparities of sexual minority populations is built around the theory of minority stress, developed by Meyer in 2003. This theory is built on the same idea as racial minority stress. So in much the same way as black individuals experience unique and additive stressors related to their minority race, those who are the focus of this research experience stressors uniquely related to their minority sexuality. There was one problem that Meyer saw, though, an apparent contradiction in the consequences of minority stress. Black individuals do not experience higher rates of mental disorders, but lesbian, gay, and bisexual, bisexual individuals do. Both hold a minority position, and both experience stress because of it, but their outcomes are different. One possible explanation for this is the minority community. Black people are arguably born into their ethnic community and thus they may receive support and a bolstered sense of identity from their community throughout their whole lives. On the other hand, people with a minority sexuality are not thought to be born into a sexual identity community. If they become part of such a community at all, they must undergo a process of sexual development and discovery first. Even then, because sexual identities are fluid and do not always align precisely with an individual's experience, membership in a sexual minority identity community may not be guaranteed. Minorities, I'm sorry, Meyer's minority stress model assumes minority identity. While sociologists excel at 
categorization and identification. An individual's experience does not necessarily match the same identifier. When sexualities deviate from the normative, then stress is likely in some form, even if the deviation does not align with an alternate minority identity categorization. So in sociology, there's a theory called grounded theory that has the goal of looking at research without any preconceived notions of what it will show. Basically, start with the basic facts that are known to be true and then build a theory from there. In this case, uh, we see these various sexual minority identity groups having higher rates of mental health problems. So Meyer saw this evidence and he drew the comparison to racial minority groups. This theory of his makes a lot of sense, but it's not perfect. So let's take a step back and look at the evidence in a different way. Sexual identity groups are tricky things because not everyone fits them perfectly. They're just generalizations. So instead of saying that all these individuals identify with a sexual minority group, which might not even be true, for example, not all men who have sex with men call themselves gay, but what do all these individuals have in common? Brangelova and Savin Williams in 2011 hint at an alternative to identity by measuring whether an individual deviates from the norm, not whether they identify with a label aligned with deviation. They interviewed high school seniors about their mental health and asked them at what age they were when they had their first sexual experience. And they found that people who had sex at the normal time, meaning at the same time as their average peers, had the best mental health. People who did not have sexual experiences until later were more likely to have mental health problems. The concept of their study, the theory, uh, was that they anticipated a normative sexual experience, and then experiences that deviated from the norm were associated with poor mental health. This group norms perspective may allow an understanding of the minority stress model that is independent from self-identity. Their theory is able to see minority stress without subjects being categorized directly with a minority identity, and especially without having to self-identify into a non-normative categorization. Another study, this one by Sattler et al. in 2017, provides another interesting variation on Meyer's theory. It applies sexual identity stress to individuals of any sexual identity, not only minority sexual identities. While it's clear that sexual minority populations experience a disproportionate level of these stressors, this study finds that the sexual majority populations experience them as well. Furthermore, in their model, sexual identity stress explains all of the variation in mental health outcomes between majority and minority sexual identity groups, suggesting that there's nothing essentially different about these sexual minority groups from the majority groups. Rather, they simply experience sexual identity stress in varying levels. Let me say that another way. Sexual stress explains the difference in mental health, not sexual identity. According to their data, it doesn't matter what a person's sexual identity is. What matters is how stressful their experience is of their sexual identity. 
For example, someone who is picked on for being straight can be depressed as a result, in the same way as someone who is picked on for being gay can be depressed. So where does this lead then? We can follow this evidence right into queer theory. A fundamental aspect of queer theory is that it rejects binary classifications. For the queer theorist, it is not only insufficient to add more categories to better define difference, it is antithetical. This applies directly to categorization and labeling of sexual minority populations. To quote one queer theorist, queer theory posits that the identity categories of lesbian and gay are products of binary cultural systems of meaning reproduced by institutional and discursive practices. Sedgwick in 1990 and Foss in 1991 elaborate on how homosexuality becomes the inferior partner in the binary by arguing that the homo-heterobinary operates in a relationship to other unequal binaries such as male and female, rational and emotional, strong and weak, active and passive. The same theorist argues that the ubiquitous use of identity categories in social research limits our understanding of these populations and distorts knowledge where a subject does not understand his or her position in the same way as the researcher does. So part of this limitation is in how researchers recruit and survey participants. Potential subjects would be excluded from many of the convenience samples used in the research analyzed here because they were not part of an established club or organization or an identity group. This limitation is especially significant with younger populations where sexual identity is still being developed. Likewise, if a survey asks about sexual identity, it requires the subject to align with a particular identity group. And this may not be the same as engaging in a particular sexual activity. Another part though, another problem, relates to how researchers theorize and interpret findings. By naming categories, a researcher gives them an essentialist quality. By studying homosexuality, for example, a binary relationship is implicitly created between a heterosexuality, the normative state, and homosexuality, a deviant or aberrant condition that must be studied to be understood. The deployment of heteronormative assumptions in research risks underplaying the role marginalization and homonegative experiences play in the lives of queer people and risks adding power to the arguments of those who pathologize homosexuality. A podcast is a great place to ask questions. It's not necessarily the best medium for providing answers. We've learned a lot from the significant research into sexual identity groups, like how Lesbian women's experience is different from that of a straight woman. But if we didn't limit ourselves to thinking within these categories, what could be different? What if we take a broader view of sexual subjectivity, not by adding more categories, but by seeking to understand sexual dynamics throughout society in light of group norms and social scripts? Sexual variation can be observed in many individuals, regardless of self-identified or researcher-imposed categorization. When that variation deviates from socially established normativity, 
a common experience of sexual minority status can be observed, and common stress patterns result. I'm a firm believer that we're all a little queer. You don't have to be gay to be a little different, a little bit outside the norm in one way or another. After all, sexual normativity is a practically impossible standard. If the mental health challenges the researchers has, have observed are not exclusive to LGBTQ communities, but rather they can be applied to anyone who is not a perfect model of normativity, then this problem might be seen in a very different way. Maybe it's not a problem of being gay or some other sexual identity. Maybe it's a problem of how our entire culture approaches sexuality, forcing people to adhere to a myth of normativity or be subjected to shame, stigma, marginalization, and ostracism. Thanks for listening.